great to see you here on this rather chilly Sunday morning, but delighted you're here and part of this worship time. Thank you, Kevin and choir and all those who have led us in worship this morning. We have, we have begun our beginning just in the opening uh, stages of a series of messages in the book of Philippians that I'm calling Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. Did you know that? Did you know that your life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful? Your family doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful? Your marriage doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful? Your job doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful? Your school, your church, it doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. The people in your life don't have to be perfect. The circumstances of your life don't have to be perfect for life to be wonderful. And that should be some good news for most of us because most of us don't find perfection in any area or arena of life. Anybody? I don't. So this should be some good news for us this morning. We live in an imperfect world. We live in the midst of imperfect people and we deal with imperfect circumstances that cause us all kinds of struggles and all kinds of difficulties, irritations, aggravations, headaches, heartaches, painful experiences that come our way in life. Life can be very difficult sometimes and life can be very hard sometimes and yet the Apostle Paul who wrote this little four-chapter book we call Philippians, wrote it as he was sitting in a prison cell, accused of a crime he did not commit, losing his freedom, losing his friends, losing his livelihood, losing his ministry, and yet he writes to us and he says, even when life seems to have dished out its very worst, even when life is not perfect, it can still be wonderful. But you know, that's not automatic. Do you know that? Even though it's true, it's not automatic. The sad fact is the majority of the people on this planet have never experienced that reality. Sadder still, much sadder still, many of God's people have never experienced this reality, and that is because no one will ever experience this reality unless and until they have understood and applied and have built into their lives some essential and critical biblical theological foundations that are really the essence of the Christian life. And Paul reveals those things to us in the opening verses of this book in what seems to be, if we just look at it quickly, Nothing more than an introductory greeting, but it is far more than that. Paul gives us in these opening verses an extraordinary description of what it means to live the Christian life. So look at them 
uh, with me. We can't put them on the screen this morning, but verses 1 and 2, follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Paul writes, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul says in these two verses really can be described as the irreducible minimum of what it means to be a Christian. These verses contain the irreducible minimum of what it means to be a Christian. It constitutes New Testament Christianity. These are the basics. These are the elementals. These are the foundations. Now, we looked at the first foundation last week. And all of this is on, you can follow along in your message guide there. Uh, the foundation we looked at last week, if you were here, remember, had to do with my posture before Christ Jesus, my posture before Christ Jesus. There, that verse, uh, first part of verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about taking on the posture of a servant, really the posture of a slave. Paul saw everything in life through the lens of his slavery to Jesus Christ. Everything was seen through that lens. Paul understood that God did not save us to be sensations. He saved us to be servants. He saved us to be slaves of Christ. That means he is my absolute master. I live under his absolute ownership. I give him my constant availability and instant unconditional obedience. I live my life above all else to please him. I find my identity and my purpose in my relationship with him. And that must be my constant posture before Jesus Christ or church, I have not understood the most basic, fundamental meaning of what it means to follow Christ. My posture before Jesus must be that of a servant, of a slave. So I want to share at this point another secret with you, okay? I told you last week I love secrets, and I'll share one with you most Sundays. You can fill in the blank. Here is the secret for today, this morning. The primary need in the church of Jesus Christ today is to realize again exactly what it means to be a Christian. That's our biggest need today. We need to go back and we need to understand again from God's Word, exactly what it means to be a Christian. Here's why I say that. Have you ever wondered, stop, ask yourself the question, how those early Christians, those first century believers, who were just a handful, 
How were they able to have such a profound influence and impact on that pagan world in which they lived? It was because they understood this. They understood what it really meant to be a follower of Christ. They knew it wasn't their organization. It was the quality and the character of their lives. It wasn't their size. They were few in number. It wasn't their buildings or their programs or their money or their staff. They didn't have any of those things. Church, what enabled them to have such an impact and be the kingdom force that they were was because of the power they possessed from being truly Christian. They knew what that meant, and they lived their lives accordingly. I want to tell you something this morning. And this is just from observation. It's not, not taken on this church. I don't even know a lot about this church yet. This is my observation that the lack of influence that the Christian church has in our world today is owing in large part to the fact that we are so often so unlike the Christians we see in the New Testament. And so the very first thing we must do, if we're concerned about our lives, if we're concerned about our families, if we're concerned about our churches is to examine ourselves and discover how closely we conform to the pattern and the description of these first century believers. I, I want to urge you to do something this week. I want you to read through the book of Philippians, and I want you to begin asking yourself the kind of questions that Paul is asking throughout this book. Now, I, I want to go through it with you quickly this morning. I'm not going to give you chapter and verse references because we don't have time. I need to go through this in a hurry. But every question I'm going to ask you right now comes right out of the book of the Philippians, okay? So read through this book this week and ask yourself questions like these. Do I give thanks every time I think about my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I truly love others with the affection of Christ Jesus? Am I filled with the fruit of righteousness? Is my manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Do I, in humility, consider others as more important than myself? Do I have the attitude in me that was also in Christ Jesus? Do I do all things without grumbling and complaining? I'll move on. Am I genuinely concerned about the welfare of others? Have I counted all things as loss for the sake of Christ? Have I forgotten what lies behind so that I could strain forward to lay hold of what is ahead? Am I standing firm in the Lord? And am, am I rejoicing in the Lord always? Am I praying about everything all the time? Is my mind focused on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and worthy of praise? Am I content in all things? Church, if I am not, and if you are not, then something is wrong 
at the very foundation level of our Christian lives. And that is why, before we can ever get into the book of Philippians, we need to spend this kind of time working on foundations. And that's what I pray we are doing. So this morning, let's, let's move on to look at foundation number two. Foundation number two has to do with my position in Christ Jesus. My position in Christ Jesus. Verse one of chapter one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and then notice this next little phrase, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. My posture before Christ is that of a servant, a slave. My position in Christ is that of a saint. To all of the saints in Christ Jesus. Now that may sound a little strange to your ears this morning for me to tell you that you are a saint. Some of you might be looking to the person sitting next to you and thinking, hmm. In fact, some of you may have heard somebody say before, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm no saint. You see, we're uncomfortable if someone calls us a saint. It evokes an image of someone who is holier than thou or who is super spiritual in in sort of a negative sense or worse, we think of someone who's been uh, canonized by the Roman Catholic Church and officially declared to be a saint by the Pope. Well, none of those things even come close to the biblical meaning of the word saint. The word Paul uses here, translated saint, is the Greek word hagios. And it means to be set apart or set aside. Now, I know you don't have that on the screen this morning, so let me say it again. The word Paul uses here, translated saint, is the word hagios, and it means to be set apart or to be set aside. So when Paul addresses this letter to the saints in Philippi, what he is really saying is he is writing this letter to the separated ones. the ones who have been set aside, the ones who have been set apart. And the significance of this is that the Philippian Christians and you and me have been singled out, requisitioned, separated, set apart, and set aside by God. That is what it means to be a saint, and I need to tell you that is true of every Christian. 
I've been set apart by God. You have been set apart by God. But what does that mean? What is the purpose of this separation? Well, there are two purposes. All right? There's a twofold purpose for this separation. I'll fill in the blanks for you here. Number one, it means I have been set apart by God from something. I've been set apart from something, but I've also been set apart by God for something. I've been set apart from something. I've been set apart for something. Now, we're going to look at both of these things, but it's going to take us a couple of weeks to do it. So this morning, I just want our focus to be on what it means to be a saint, what it means to be set apart by God from something. And as a saint in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, the New Testament says, I have been set apart from one primary thing. I have been set apart by God, and you have been set apart by God from the world. We have been set apart from the world. Now, we need to spend some time, make sure we understand what this means. Because there are at least two ways we can understand the word world. So what does the New Testament mean when it talks about the world? Well, it talks about it in a couple of different ways. Number one, the world can be my point of location. It can be my point of location. There is a world that I live in. There is a physical location where my feet walk in this world. So the world can be my point of location, and that is perfectly okay. That is perfectly okay. Obviously, I cannot be separated from my physical location as long as I am alive. Now, one day, they will put me in a box, and they will carry me out those doors if the Lord doesn't come back first, and then I will be out of this world. But until that time, I have to live in this world. This is my physical point of location. And the Bible affirms, the Bible says that God has us in the places that we are so that we can interact with people, the non-Christians around us, and so that we can seek to influence them and impact them for the sake of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 10. Paul is writing here, he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now watch this. He said, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or with the idolaters, for then you would have to what? You'd have to go out of the world. You'd have to be taken out of the world. If we truly want to separate ourselves from the immoral, worldly people around us, we'll have to somehow leave this world altogether. That is not what the Word of God is asking us to do. He's not asking us to change our point of location because God has placed us in the world so that we can impact and influence the people who don't know Jesus. And part of our problem in the church today is that we have so 
isolated ourselves and insulated ourselves within the walls of the church building that we don't even have any meaningful interaction many times with the non-Christians in the world around us. Most of our friends are Christians. Most of the time that we spend with people, we spend with Christians. Can I just remind you this morning that Jesus did not say, you are the light of the church. He said, you are the light of the what? The world, the physical location where you live, I have put you there to be light. And I'm just going to tell you, some of us need to do a lot of work because the only light we are is, the, is in the church. I've had to do this. I mean, I work on the campus of a Christian university. All of my family members are believers. In my spare time, I do things like this where I'm in the middle of God's people, and I have to find That's one reason I serve as a military chaplain. That's one reason why I'm a part-time law enforcement officer. It's because I realize I have to proactively find ways to put myself in those places in the world where I can be the light that Christ has called me to be. So when the Bible talks about separating ourselves from the world, please understand it is not talking about us cocooning ourselves away. Jesus said in John 17, 18, as you, Father, sent me into the world, now I am sending them into the world. This is not the world. The world is out there. And we must be out there being the light that Christ has called us to be. So our point of physical location, it's okay. That's perfectly fine for you to live where you live, work where you work. It's okay. God needs you there. Christ needs you there to be the light to those people. But there's a second way we can understand the world. And that is as my source of information. The world can become my source of information. In other words, it can begin to shape my thinking, my values, my perspective in life, and that is definitely and absolutely not okay. It is not okay on any level. 1 John 2.16 says this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. This is what the Bible is talking about when it says that you need to be separated from the world. I need to be separated from the world because the world just wants us to go after these kinds of things, pursue our own pleasures, pursue our own desires, be prideful about the things that we do. And we ignore God's clear word to separate ourselves from that world at our great peril. Let me share some things with you this morning about the world and why this is so important and why as the saints of God, we need to... I don't need that. We... As the saints of God, 
We need to separate ourselves from this world. Let me make sure you understand what God's Word says when it talks about the world. Three things here I want to share with you quickly. Number one, when the Bible speaks about the world, it is speaking of an ordered system. An ordered system. The world is not just a physical location. There is something taking place in our world. There is this ordered, organized system. In fact, the biblical word for the world, the word cosmos, is a word which literally means order. The word cosmos is the root from which we get our English word cosmetics. Ladies, cosmetics are designed to set your face in order. Now, I'm not going to go any further down that road, but that is what the word means. It means order. Cosmos means to put something in order. So when the word of God tells me that I need to be set apart from the world as a saint of God, it is speaking of this ordered, structured, organized world system that influences my thinking, that influences my values, that influences my priorities. I need to separate myself from that ordered system. And guess what? An ordered, structured, organized system has to have an organizer, right? So here's the second thing about this world. It is a satanic system. It is not just an ordered system. Number two, it is a satanic system. First John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? The evil one. Satan. Church, the things that are happening in our world today, the things that are happening in our government, in our society, in our homes, in our families, and in our churches are not happening by chance. They are happening by satanic design. We are talking about a world order and a world system that is under the control of Satan. And then the third thing about this system is that it is an exclusive system. It is an exclusive system. And by that, I mean this. Satan, as the head of this ordered, structured, organized world system, has one goal. He has one purpose, and that is to leave God out. That's it. This ordered, structured, organized, satanic world system does everything that it can to leave God out of everything. It wants God left out of government. It wants God left out of education. It wants God left out of the workplace. It wants God left out of the social agenda. It wants God left out of everything. Now, Let me say something. It's fairly easy for us to sit in here this morning and shake our heads and amen that and talk about how bad it is out 
there because God's been left out of everything. But what about right in here? What about your life and my life? This is foundational for you to understand that if you're leaving God out of any area or any arena of your life, then you are cooperating with the agenda of an exclusive satanic world system because that is what the world does. It leaves God out. That means if you don't take God to work with you (laughs) so that he permeates everything you do on that job, you are a worldly person. There aren't a lot of students in here this morning, but I want to say to them in the second service, if you don't take God to school with you, if you don't take God to school with you so that your classmates see that he absolutely penetrates your life in that classroom, in the cafeteria, on the playing field, then you are a worldly person. If God is not right in the middle of your conversations and your actions when you're on that deer stand or in that boat or on the golf course or when you're with your buddies or with your girlfriends, then you're a worldly person because, listen, you cannot follow Christ and cooperate with a world system that leaves God out because those two things are mutually exclusive. By the way, this applies to every area of life. So we're talking about an ordered, structured, organized system headed by Satan that seeks to leave God out of everything. And that is what we must constantly separate ourselves from as saints in Christ Jesus. The Word of God affirms this over and over and over again when it warns us that we must be separated from the world. Let me share four things with you quickly that the Bible has to say about our relationship with the world. I'm going to run through them very quickly. Number one, it says, don't be misled by the world. Don't, don't let the world mislead you. James 4.4, 4, don't you know that friendship with the world, the cosmos, this ordered, structured, organized world system headed by Satan that seeks to leave God out, don't you realize that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes what? An enemy of God. Those of you who are married, let me ask you a question. Would you let your spouse be friends with someone who told them, hey, (laughs) ignore your wife. Ignore your husband. Don't go home. Spend all your money away from home. Would you let your spouse be friends with someone like that? Of course not. Why? Because that person is working against the very foundation and purpose of your marriage and your home and your family. And James says you cannot be friends with the world. It will mislead you. It will lead you away from everything that God wants to do in your life. Everything. Number two, don't be marked by the world. 
James 1.27, I referenced this verse already this morning, the, 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 the first part. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And last part, just as important, okay? I'm glad we're emphasizing the first part today, but don't neglect the second part. And to keep yourself unstained, unspotted, unmarked by the world. Have you ever gotten a stain on a shirt? <laughs> I have a bad habit of sticking pins in my, in my shirt pocket and they will leak and, and I'll get a stain on it. It's just in one place. But it ruins the whole garment. I have to throw it away. James is saying, don't let the world put its mark on you. Don't let it influence the way you think. Don't let it influence your decisions, your priorities, your values. If you do, it will absolutely destroy everything God wants to do in your life, only, even if you only give in in one area. Don't do it. It's dangerous, deadly. Number three, don't be molded by the world. Now, Romans 12, too, one of my favorite verses, do not be conformed to this world. But I've always loved the J.B. Phillips translation of this verse. It reads like this. It tells me, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. To put it another way, don't let the world tell you what to do. Let me ask you a question. How do you know when the world is telling you what to do? You ever thought about that? How do you know when the world is telling you what to do? There's a simple test, really. Just ask one question. Can I include... Jesus. That's it. If you cannot include Jesus, then the world is telling you what to do. That ought to help you in your decision-making, in your actions, in your behavior. You can do absolutely anything that Jesus can do with you, but anything that he has to wait outside on until you get through, that's off limits. It is wrong. It is worldly. It is the essence of what the world does because the world wants you to leave God out. By the way, that includes your conversations, what you watch and listen to, the places you go, the people you hang out with that, that influence your life. Again, I've already said you need to be out there among non-Christians, but I'm talking about letting them influence your life. And then fourthly, don't be mesmerized by the world. Wow, there is such a lure out there. I must not be mesmerized by the world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything that belongs to the world because if you do, if you love the world, if you're enamored, if you're mesmerized by this organized, structured, satanic world system that seeks to leave God out of everything, then John says, if you love that, you don't love the Father. Men, I'm going to pick on you a minute. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give you some advice. You can't come home to your wife. Ladies, see if you agree. You can't come home to your wife and say, Honey, I love you. <laughs> I love you. I know I spend every weekend with Miss Jones down the street, but hey, I love you. I know, uh, I, know I spend all my money on Miss Jones. But gosh, honey, I love you so much. I know you got two of my children and she's got four, but you got to believe, you got to believe that you're the one I love. 
Newsflash, men, that don't work. Right? Why? Because love is where you give your attention. Love is where you spend your time. Love is who you support. And you cannot love God and be mesmerized by a satanic world system that leaves God out. So here's the truth. As we come to the end of our time this morning, here's the truth. Fill in the blanks. I cannot be a Christian if I am not a saint. And I cannot be a saint if I am not separated from the world. I don't belong to the world any longer. I have to live in it. It's my point of location. But it cannot become my source of information. It cannot start to change the way I think. There is a separation that has taken place in my life, in my mind, in my outlook, in my heart, in my conversation, in my behavior. I am a radically different person. I am in Christ, and that means I am not governed by the world. I will not be molded by the world. I will not be misled by the world. I will not be marked by the world, and I will not be mesmerized by the world. As a saint in Christ Jesus, I have been set apart by God from this system totally and completely. In church this morning, we, we must, we must examine ourselves to see if we correspond to this description. See, we have accepted the idea that only certain Christians are saints. No. No. Every Christian is supposed to be separated from this world system. And if you say, I'm not a saint, then you have denied the very essence of Christianity. It is the same thing as denying your faith. We need this reminder in this day of watered-down moral expectations. We need this reminder in this day where we have so conveniently compartmentalized our faith. We find great use for it on Sunday, but we leave it at the church door Monday through Saturday. The New Testament knows nothing of that. It's okay to expect a lot from your pastor. It's okay to expect a lot from your church staff and your leadership, your deacons. It's okay, it's all right to expect a lot from your missionaries. It is not okay to expect any less of yourself. I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to the conclusion of our time together. Once again, Lord, I pray your word has been that searchlight into our lives and into our hearts and into our souls. 
Yes, we look at the world around us and, and we see, God, that you have been left out in so many ways and in so many places. But that's what the world does. We need to be aware of what's taking place in the world. But what our focus needs to be on this morning is our own lives. Where are we leaving you out? Where are we allowing ourselves to be misled? Where are we allowing ourselves to be marked and molded and mesmerized by the world? Father, I pray that we'll be honest before you and with ourselves this morning. And Lord, may we make decisions today that would bring us in line with what your word says we ought to be and need to be as saints in Christ Jesus. And I ask all this in his name. Amen.